So I was asked to do a mentoring forum, and when I, when I was first asked to do this forum, I don't know if, how many of you uh, pay attention to the forum topics, but we've had quite a number of, of uh, topics that have been related to mentoring. Um, and uh, the, the question was posed to me, can we just make it practical? And so I struggled with that because, I don't know, it's just, it's just mentoring, right? <laughs> uh, but as I dove into it, uh, I, I came to the realization, I was kind of awestruck with the depth of, of what scripture says um, and implies about mentoring. Um, and one of the things that really jumped out at me, and I don't know how many of you, anybody here familiar with uh, Dick Fosbury? Okay, so uh, the flop, right? The Fosbury flop. For those of you that aren't, prior to 1968 and the 1968 Olympics, um, people m normally approached uh, the high jump with a scissor jump, right? They would jump over this way. Uh, this guy decided to try something else out on his own. And I don't know if it was totally on his own or with a trainer, but over the, from 1964 to 1968, he was working on perfecting a different way to jump. And uh, by the 1968 Olympics, uh, he had perfected a different way to jump. And initially, they called it the Fosbury flop, which is the way everybody jumps now. Why? Because you can get a lot higher. Uh, and so when I started thinking about how we mentor as a church and um, how we've really been set up to mentor, I found it ironic that, that the way that we mentor has a lot to do with the way our educational system is set up. Um, that, that normally within the church setting, somebody gets baptized. Um, if they're a girl, they go into Sunday school <laughs> and start helping out at Sunday school and start developing Sunday school still skills. If you're a guy, you start getting into maybe Sunday school, sometimes junior Bible class, and eventually into Bible class. Um, and we, we teach through practice, as I teach. I learn how to teach, and I kind of move up in the church. And we think that that's mentoring. And maybe we don't all think that, but that's really the, the, the only established method for, for growth is, this, is, an, um, is going to Sunday school and being a teacher in Sunday school, is going to junior Bible class, teaching. Bible class is going and right moving that way up and eventually some brothers become ministers and then possibly elders uh, and I came to realize that if we did if we did what I'm going to show you effectively very effectively I don't even know if and this might be sacrilege but I don't even know if we would need Sunday school um, but that's a dangerous statement so um, <laughs> so I want to ask you how do you picture when you think of a teacher how do you picture a teacher or a class. Tell, how do you picture that? Okay, inspiring. So the visual of a, of a, of a teacher um, and the class, how do you picture it? The, te the teacher's inspiring, right? In, in a lot of cases, isn't it kind of this setting? Now, the new educational models are, are starting to set up um, called Learn Labs and active learning environments in, at university settings. Um, and now they're starting to, to move down into, into smaller settings where we, we sit around in a group. Um, and so the teacher might be at, um, in the front or different spots in the class, and everyone's kind of learning from each other. Um, think about that as, as, a, as an educational model as well. Who am I learning from? I'm learning from my peers. Uh, so I don't know if that, in the end, gets us much further than, than this model. How about a coach? How do you picture a coach? Okay, encouraging? Somebody else said something? In the middle, like a huddle? You know, if you ever watch a sports event, 
um, at the, the timeouts, right? That the, the coaches in the center are doing this. Everyone's huddled around, and they go, okay, break. And they all break apart. And where does the coach go? He goes to the sidelines. And where does the team go? In the field. And then the coach is doing this and doing this and making signals and yelling and screaming and throwing his hat down if they're not doing what he's saying, right? But he can't get out there and do anything. How do you picture a mentor? All of the above. You know, it's interesting. Um, so, oops, went too fast there. Let's back up. Teaching. Coaching. Um, I found this picture, and I thought it was pretty striking, because this is what I started to envision mentoring as. Um, doing it together. So, if you were trying to tell somebody how, anybody kayak? Remember the first time you kayaked? <laughs> it's pretty scary, right? I did it once, and it's like, whoa. Right? So, and the people on the shore were trying to tell me what to do. <laughs> like, thanks. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're helping me a lot. Right? Um, but I did see it when we, were, um, we went canoeing as a family. And on the river, one time, I remember seeing a father and a daughter doing it together. And that's what this picture reminded me of. It reminded me of somebody. So he's side by side with, with this other person. And he's telling them, no, no, no. Do it like this. Right? Watch your balance. Do it like this. So in a lot of ways, that's mentoring. So if we move into scripture, a paraphrase on Matthew 28, 20, part of the Great Commission, um, how do you do this? So how would you do this? If, if I asked you to go do this, to go teach the world everything that I've commanded you, everything that God has told us to do, I want you to teach the world what God has said you have to do. Okay, so here you'd have to live it. So to teach the world what I've commanded you, you have to live it yourself. You know, the Ten Commandments, what God has commanded them, how would you do this? You'd tell them, don't kill, right? So how would you teach them? Okay, just living it. So because you're not killing somebody, they're not going to kill somebody? <laughs> okay. So there's... Yeah, don't go there yet. Tell me how you would do this. <laughs> so if you were to, okay, if you were to teach somebody a set of rules, a set of statements, how would you teach somebody a set of statements? You would live it. You would have to be the example. Um, how do you teach a set of objective facts to somebody? You make a list. You make them memorize it, perhaps. You make them memorize it. Okay, have them test it so that it's proven, so that they know it's right. So almost like labs, but if you, maybe, you know, okay. Excellent. So a, a really good Sunday school model. Like if you're teaching kids, you're in a small group setting. You're teaching it in Sunday school. You're explaining it. You're sharing the scripture together. You're explaining to them what it says, why it's impactful, maybe even sharing from your own experiences. Does that all kind of make sense on how to do this? What's that? Do it together with them. Well, see, I don't know how many of you are very familiar. What does Matthew 28, 20 really say? One word difference. How would you do this? So explain it, show it, watch them to make sure they're doing it, and then follow up. So think about how that applies to this statement. This was, to me, was the profound thing, because I had been misinterpreting Matthew 28, 20. When I read Matthew 28, 20 as part of Jesus' great commission, when he said, go out into all the world, baptizing all nations in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and teaching them what God had commanded, I forgot, I didn't notice that one word, to observe. 
what God had commanded. So to observe, if you look it up in a, in a, in a different translation, might say to obey. Teach them to obey. And so here's the question, and this is where it comes down to the, this, right, this is, it becomes mentoring. How do you teach somebody a set of facts versus teaching them to obey a set of facts? How do you teach someone to obey? It's easy to teach someone, but how do you teach them to obey? So how do you teach them to obey that versus just teaching the fact of that? That, that was the, 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 the critical kind of thing for me when I got to this, was recognizing that to teach someone to obey really requires me to go hand in hand with them. Absolutely. And so God has some involvement in it, right? God, the Spirit has to direct them. But for me to teach them to obey, because we're commanded here by Jesus to go out into the world and to teach the world to obey God's commands. Not just to teach them his commands, but teach them to obey. Subtle difference, but profound in the way you do it. Dan, you had... So as we move forward, um, keep this in mind, because this, this was profound to me. Because God has commanded us to mentor. I believe in this statement, this statement that Jesus made is a statement about mentoring. It's, about, it's a statement about teaching people to obey, and the way you teach somebody to obey is at a very hands-on approach versus a lecture approach. I'm never going to teach you to obey something standing up here and just telling you about it. Excellent. Excellent. I have just a couple more thoughts, and then we're going to keep going. Bob? With? Okay, good. Sister Saito, you had your hand up. Good. 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 All right, we're going to keep going. Hold your thoughts, and we'll kind of come back to them. Um, I want to make sure we have uh, time to finish. So uh, we're starting with just some biblical examples. Um, when you look at some of the biblical examples, this is just some of them. Uh, Jesus is in his disciples, uh, Moses and Jethro, Eli, Samuel, um, Elijah, Elisha, Paul, Timothy, Aquila, Priscilla with Apollos, um, are just some of the examples that we have in Scripture where you see a mentoring relationship. The one that I wanted to focus on uh, was, and I, I don't know if you can read this, uh, can you read it in the back? Okay. Um, so this is Exodus 18, and this is the story of Jethro and Moses. Um, and I want you to read this. I'm not going to read it to you. You can read it to yourself faster. And then tell me where you see evidence of mentoring having happened um, in the results that you see here. Because um, I, I wouldn't have thought of Jethro and, and Moses as a classic mentoring relationship, um, just off the cuff. But where do you see, or where can you, imp where is it implied that mentoring has happened? What are you doing? <laughs> Good. Is there anything else? That's, so that's the result. Anything else that jumps out at us that says, man, there's maybe some evidence of mentoring having happened? Okay, good. So right at the beginning, verse 7, the, the caring that we saw. Yeah, so when I started to look at this, I thought it was, it was pretty cool that, that the relationship that Jethro and the impact that Jethro had on Moses over the 40 years that Moses was a shepherd. I mean, obviously we know that, that Jethro taught Moses how to be a shepherd. He didn't learn that in the Egyptian courts, right? So when he fled Egypt, he didn't know how to be a shepherd. He learned how to be a shepherd, and while he was being a shepherd, he saw the burning bush. Uh, 
what we see here, and I, so I'm, this is a little bit of conjecture, but I could imagine Jethro comes, and from a pure formality point of view, if it ended with verse 7, the beginning of 7, um, you could accept that as being appropriate on how to respect your father-in-law, right? I, I bow down and I respect him. What the further evidence that builds here is what does Moses then do? Well, so he asks, how you doing? Okay, so we could have the shallow conversation. How you doing? Good. How you doing? Good. Okay, we're done. Um, but Moses takes him into his tent and tells him everything that's happened. And all of a sudden, to me, it was an aha. Here is evidence that he really respected his father-in-law. He didn't just surface respect his father-in-law. He really respected his father-in-law. And he, he says, here is everything that's happened. This is how God has delivered us to his father-in-law in a private location, not in public. And, and so then you, it seems like, you know, the verses 16, 17, and 18 are, make a lot more sense in that scenario because if, if you've just led a whole million people out of Egypt and you didn't respect your father-in-law and you didn't have a tight relationship with your, with your father-in-law, how likely would you be to even listen to what he had to say? So the need for mentoring, um, why mentor you know, on a global level? And we're going to kind of hammer through these real quick. Um, why do I mentor? Uh, Hebrews 11 and 12. I don't know if anybody, you know, the, the, the hero chapter in, in Hebrews. These are the heroes of our faith. At the, there's a really interesting statement um, that the writer makes at, very, at the very end of Hebrews 11. And he says, And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. And the, uh, the word perfect really implies complete. That their faith without us is not complete. So, and I've shared this with our church folks, the notion that we're part of a continuum. That, that the heroes, their faith would have been useless if there was nobody to come after. Because it would have just been in vain. But because Jesus came back, because there's a church, because we are living holy lives, it validates what they went through. It makes it real. and makes it purposeful. And then chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, wherefore? Um, since we also have the same group of witnesses, this is the way we should live because we are part of the same continuum. So the need to mentor, the need to establish the current church to become the future church, the future church is going to validate your faith just like we're validating the, the hero's faith. If your grandfather spent 15 years in prison for not taking a gun and our church disappears... What does that say about his faith? Right? It, it, you see what I'm saying? So the fact that we're alive and the church is growing and the church is, is still fulfilling God's work validates the faith of those who came before us. We're a continuum. So why mentor? We are part of a continuum. It's our responsibility. Um, why else? To equip the next generation. Be strong in the grace. This is... Uh, Paul talking to Timothy, and the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men. Why? They're going to be able to teach others, right? I think somebody earlier on mentioned that. The idea that, that this is, we teach so that others can teach, so that we can continue to develop. So we are equipping the next generation. Um, we're also equipping ourselves. And I, I don't think we realize this. 
I think we, for mentoring, we think that if I'm older, I mentor the younger. Um, but when we were talking about this in church, um, imagine I'm mentoring, I'm going to pick on Alan. We're about the same age, but... Uh, oh, oh. <laughs> so imagine I mentor Alan, and, uh, and I'm the minister. And over the course of five or six years, Alanis is embracing what we've talked about so much that I'm starting to look at my life, and I look at Alan's life, and I start to get convicted about the fact that he's really stepping it up a notch. So much so that, that man, I need to step it up a notch. Have you ever been in a work situation or even in a church situation where, you know, you teach somebody how to do something and they're doing such a good job, you're like, man, I've got to step it up <laughs> because they're, gonna, <laughs> they're doing a lot better than I am. They're going to get my job soon. Um, mentoring is back and forth. Mentoring means that just because someone's younger doesn't mean that they can't teach me something. Um, somebody, you know, we get comfortable in our, in our zones um, and I've shared this with, with some of you, uh, the idea that, man, somebody, sometimes you're mentoring somebody, they might come up with a crazy idea. And what's, I can tell them I'm getting older and more experienced because somebody comes up with a crazy idea, you, what's the first thing that happens? Um, the first thing that happens to me is the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Right, my heart's going a little bit faster. <laughs> and I think, oh boy, how do I, gotta, how do I take care of this? Right? You know, sometimes though, a crazy idea is not all bad. And I need to step back and say, Lord, is this, is this something that you want done? And, and maybe it's okay. Maybe we pray about it together. And maybe in the end, I learn something from my crazy young brother who I've mentored, who's just had this idea that I never thought of and that at first glance really scares me. But when I start to we pray about it together and we talk in a council that's maybe bigger, it becomes something that's valid. And so... Um, sometimes we learn something and we're stepped out of our comfort zone. I got sent this as an email, and I want you to just read it. This was an interesting one because it kind of, this is supposedly a true story, and it validates um, what I was just saying. People still reading? Sorry, I'm a speed reader. You know, you think that you're doing the mentoring. In this case, you're being mentored. He starts off saying, I don't want to be the super Christian in front of this young guy. I'm just going to be normal. Uh, and the young guy's like, why didn't you pray with him? Hello? So, how do we do this? Philippians says, these things that you've both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. So, step one is to look at what the people around us are doing to be mentored and then start to mentor. Um, you know, Pastor Paul was, I mean, he, he says a lot of profound things, um, but we'll, we'll get into that in a second. So on a, on a real easy level, I think this is something all of us can do. How many of you have ever invited anybody for dinner? Okay. Now, it's, it's kind of interesting that, you know, some people never invite anybody for dinner, but if you're, if you're nervous about inviting them to your house, call somebody up and say, or if you don't have a place of your own, you've got roommates or things like that, call somebody up and say, hey, let's go out for dinner. Um, how about going out for coffee? Uh, playing a sport together, spending a bit of time chatting after church. All of those are, are simple 
ways to start. Simple ways to start. The unfortunate thing would be if you end here. Um, you, you know, we had some, uh, the shallow, anybody do the shallow conversation, the competition? I know for those that were in our class, for those who might have, we had the, the, shallowest, the shallowest conversation competition. Tom and I won. <laughs> we could have the shallowest conversation possible in our class on Tuesday in Stonyville. The idea of shallow ground, we had a shallow conversation. So you invite somebody out for coffee, and if you keep it at a shallow conversation, you've kind of missed the opportunity. You know, I've made, um, so to have an intent and have a, an, an idea of um, what I'm going to do when I go out for coffee. Uh, I've gone out with co for coffee with people with a very clear focus. And by the end of, the, the, by the, end of the, the time that we were having coffee, I went out with a brother, had coffee together, and by the end of the time we had coffee, I had shared, look, um, God has a purpose for you. The church needs you. You could be so valuable to this church, but you just got to step it up a little bit. And we have an awesome relationship. That heart-to-heart that, -heart that we had going out for coffee which was preceded by playing some sports together, allowed me to be honest with them, allowed him to be honest with me. We have gained an amazing brother. And it all started out with playing a little bit of sports and having some coffee. If, if you have a gift or a talent for having people over for, for great cooking, I mean, that's, that's an ACC kind of standard thing, right? Have people over. Have, have them come over for dinner. Sit down in the living room. Have a conversation. Find out how the marriage is going. You'd be amazed at what kind of conversations can get going. And you start talking about how the marriage is going with a younger couple and if they're struggling or you can share some of the things um, that you've gone through as the discussion happens, you become impromptu marriage counselors and you never knew it. But all of a sudden you're going to find them coming back to you for advice. Right? And it all started with dinner, with an intent. For some of you younger guys and girls, right, um, and even older, if you're older and single, you have the opportunity at a ministry that's, that's amazing. Um, in our church, had an older sister who uh, was single, and when Alex and I and others were, you know, 15, she would pick us up for church for midweek. But the coolest thing was we went to A&W. I don't know if any of you have A&W. Right. So we'd go to A&W. And we're a bunch of 15-year-old guys. Our church was made up just of teenage guys at the time. She'd pile five of us in their car. We'd go to A&W before church. And we'd all get root beer floats. And the best thing was that you had free refills on the, the root beer. Right. So guess what guys do? How many can you drink? Right. So we would have, <laughs> we would have how many refills can I get competitions on the same scoop of ice cream in our root beer float before church. <laughs> you know, on some level, very shallow. Um, but guess what? It stuck with me. And it's interesting that the bonds that, that we created, Alex and I and some others in our church, are still there. And one of the reasons was Wednesday night root beers before church. Because somebody cared enough. And not just cared enough, but was willing to kind of just go out on a limb, get to know some young guys. And we'd get into some, as we got older, we drove, we'd meet at A&W before church. And then we'd start to get into some conversations. 
didn't start when we were 15, but by the time we were 17 and we were meeting for root beers before church, we would get into some interesting conversations because some of us were counseling for baptism, some of us were struggling with baptism, some of us were angry with the church for whatever reason. So, you know, we, we have a, a young brother that showed up at our church not that long ago, and um, the impact that he's had was pretty cool. I just all of a sudden started encouraging some of the other young guys to start going to McDonald's and young girls to go to McDonald's after church on midweek. And all of a sudden we saw that, the, man, our midweek service all of a sudden grew. Now, maybe it started off for the wrong reason. They're going to McDonald's afterwards. But they love going to McDonald's. They sing their hearts out at church. We get to share the message at church, and it also edifies us. So mentoring, hey, convince somebody to, to meet up for root beer before church. Um, organize a Bible study. If you're, I don't know why in some churches you think that when you turn 21, you're not supposed to go to youth group. Um, you know, coming from a small church, uh, you go to youth group until you can't go to youth group, physically. <laughs> uh, and then in all these situations, elevate the conversation. Elevate the conversation. Um, if you can go to youth group as a concerned parent, and talk to other parents. You can go as 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 an older single, as an older couple, to be an example to the younger. Um, but this is the trick, right? That it has to go for it to really be effective. And I have to say, I've experienced the effectiveness my, of myself, and I've unintentionally witnessed the effect of it on others. Is to go from a social setting where we just elevate the conversation and move it to working together. And, and this is where the burden falls on us. So, um, you know, Jeffrey remembers this one because he and I were both doing it. Um, had to help somebody move out of a, out of a really nasty place. Um, and so enlisted some help. I wasn't doing it to be a mentor. I just really needed help. So I talked to some younger brothers, tried to find out who was available on this Saturday morning. One was. Wasn't too excited about it when he found out what we were doing. The place was infested with bed bugs. So just to tell you the story, we ended up going into a really bad part of town um, in a predominantly African-American neighborhood, but that was not in a good spot of town. And I have to imagine, um, you know, knowing some of the racial uh, kind of over um, global issues in Detroit, you had a bunch of white people show up into a predominantly African-American part of town. And it's, um, and it's, we know it's bed, his room is bed bug infested and we're trying to move him out. And so my wife, because we're worried about getting bed bugs in our place, and this was a really bad part of town. Um, she gets us um, painter outfits that full zip up, hats, booties, gloves, right? So we are, we look like the government has just walked in and we're part of the CDC um, because we're, we don't want to get bed bugs. And so we're walking in this bad part of town and we're throwing things out, emptying things out. And the neighborhood was just they're all looking at us like, what are you people doing? Um, we got the guy out. I realized afterwards that in a way I had done a mentoring experience. You know, had somebody and was asked to help work on someone's house I needed help. Again, not thinking that, that this is a mentoring experience, but I needed help. So I, I go, uh, hey, can you help me? 
on a Saturday. Sure. So we go out there, we work on it together. That's just physical labor. But, um, you know, make a meal together. If someone's sick, if someone's hurting, instead of just taking it on yourself, ask someone to help you. Go and deliver it together. And make, and make sure they're younger. They could be older, I suppose. A younger Christian. But, but you see what I'm saying? If, if I'm doing work, if I see a need, and I'm involved in a need or in an, in an effort, grab someone's hand and pull them along. Each one of you do that. If each one of us grabs the hand, pulls somebody along with us, we're mentoring. Because guess what they're going to do when they see a need? They're not going to be afraid to ask for help. Co-teaching. You know, Tom and I have kind of fallen into a rut because we really enjoy teaching together, my brother-in-law and I. But one of the things that we were doing and one of the things that others can do is you tag team. So if, if you're teaching a teen class all week, tag team with a younger brother. Teach him how to teach. If you're doing a forum, speaking to myself here, because I realized that as I was putting my forum together, <laughs> it occurred to me, you know what? I could have had somebody help me with my forum. I'm slow. <laughs> um, some other thoughts that I had on the subject. So the Apostle Paul makes these statements twice. Um, and th they're very arrogant statements. How many of us would have the guts to say, follow me as I follow Christ? Anybody, you know, when I think about it, I've, I've preached on this. So it's, it's fresh for me because I keep thinking about it. So... What do, what do I say? I say, follow Christ, listen to what I'm saying, and follow Christ. Don't follow me because I'm not perfect. I will fail. So keep your eyes on the cross, which is totally true. And I'm not taking away from that at all. But that's what we say, don't, just don't do what I do. So what is, what is the message? Nobody can do it. Right? What's, the, what other, what's the message when I say, don't follow me? My life is inconsistent. It's okay if your life's inconsistent. Just, just keep trying. So be inconsistent, but keep trying. Because I'm inconsistent, but I'm trying. Just, it's um, to repeat what he said so that everybody may hear. It's like a, what our relationship with our children is if we're parents, or our relationship with our parents is if we're children. If I'm a parent, I want my children to follow me. Yeah, and so I, exactly, very few of us would have the guts to, say, to make this statement. Um, and in a lot of ways, that, that's what you know, this week was about. So where are we? Are we in Thornsburg a little bit? Are we in Stonyville? Are we in Wayside Heights? And because we kind of know that we've got some of those characteristics, we don't want anybody to follow us. We'd rather have them just follow Jesus because it takes the responsibility, the burden of responsibility off of my shoulders. I'm not responsible for you. You're responsible to follow Jesus and I don't have to worry about it. That way, if I fail, I'm only hurting myself. At least that's what we really are just kind of telling ourselves. Exactly. So we're not being asked to be perfect. We're not being asked to be perfect. But if, if I take that responsibility on, one, I'm going to work a little bit harder at trying to be 
accurate in my life, but when I fail, it's okay to say I failed. It's okay to say I really messed up here. People can learn from our mistakes, probably a lot better than they're going to learn from our successes. So a hand there, there, and then there. Ed. Yeah, you're so arrogant, right? I started off with saying that's such an arrogant statement. Yeah, they're not the superhuman that I can only aspire to be. Right. Yeah. So the full context of 1 Corinthians 4 is the verses preceding it that say you have many teachers in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. And then he says, follow me. Well, because I care. Because I'm your father. Exactly. Very good point. Right? That I'm the lead follower. Follow in my footsteps as I'm heading towards Christ. Right? That's, my, that's where my path is. Joe. <laughs> For those of you that didn't hear, he said, I, I took a carpentry class and a master carpenter told me, do it this way. And he didn't think he was prideful when he said, do it this way. Good. There are some other hands. That. Very good point. Very good point. I think the challenge, I agree, the challenge that we face, um, and I don't know, I, I, my guess is that it really spans generations, is that, um, that it's easier to model after an, kind of an ambiguous figure that's captured in written words um, and in subjective experiences, and it's easier to point, to point a kind of a finger at, follow that ambiguous figure because it reduces my responsibility. Um, and, and so we, we kind of tend to let, you know, we let ourselves off the hook, if you will. But Christ is supposed to be revealed through us. He is not some ambiguous figure. In this day and age, he has chosen to reveal himself to the world through us. Um, and so we are the reflection, not even the reflection. We're actually the, the light of his glory, according to, what is it, 1 Corinthians 5 or 4, I forget. Ed, and he's saying, follow me because I care. I care about you. Follow me. These teachers, he, the implication is these teachers don't really care. I care. I'm your father. Um, you know, part of mentoring is, is twofold. I think it starts with trust. And that's where you can't be fake. A lot of times with what Thad had said, uh, we try to conceal who we really are. We, we put on the mask. We, we try to portray ourselves as the super Christian. At least I find myself doing that sometimes, even unintentionally. Um, and, and I don't admit to where I've failed. And what happens when we do that is that we either stay at a superficial level or it seems like it's very one-sided. You've, you've been in those conversations, whether it's a spiritual conversation or, or with a professor or something who thinks he knows everything. and you, It's more of a lecture towards you rather than a dialogue back and forth. And so for superficial, 
Um, and if we're, if we're not being honest and kind of open with who we are to the people we're trying to mentor, they're going to see that. It becomes evident. People are pretty bright, all right? And, and we can read each other. And you know, just like I know, when someone is not being authentic. But, but being authentic is scary, I find. I don't know, maybe just me. But I find that when I'm authentic, it's a little scary to be authentic because people see the real me. And I don't like the real me. So I, have to, I can't imagine what other people are going to think. <laughs> <laughs> and he ended up okay. You know, I'll, I'll let the class answer that, or the, 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 the group answer that, but I, I do have one thought that, that I found as a young man, I noticed in, in other people, is we brag about our past even though it was bad. And I don't know if that's a guy thing or if it's just the, the group that I hung out with, but we know that the things that we did were not good. And so we say, don't do this, but, oh, man, yeah, we did this. Oh, you know, we stayed up all night. We did all that. I mean, you, I go on. We did some not-so-good things. We think our kids, we struggle with, we think what kids at camp are doing now, we, we forget what we did. Um, but we brag about those things. And so the one thing we have to, I would say, first and foremost, this is just my kind of thought on the spot, is to be, um, to never, never brag about the sin that I did as a young man. I mean, hello, what are you thinking, right? What am I thinking when I do that? You can never brag about the sin. It has to be a horrible thing. So that's just one thought. Are there other thoughts on that subject? Perfect advice. <laughs> but bring it on, bring it on. <laughs> You know, another, um, oh, go ahead. Did everybody hear on this side? She said knowing, she did, not that full disclosure is necessary, but knowing that her parents didn't do certain things strengthened her resolve to not do the same things. Right? <laughs> Those are bad. <laughs> That's real bad. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> and it's not just, so I would propose that you're the parent to all the children in your church. Um, that it's not that love bond that you're talking about and that, you know, Andy, you brought up about your children, but we are a village, um, to quote somebody. Uh, it, it, and we do need, I mean, Paul said to the church, I'm your father. And so... To, take, to extend that very same care and concern for our young brothers and sisters, for even the unconverted in our church, to share some of those things, to build them up and strengthen them, to shape them as well. It, it, it can't just stop with the family unit. The family unit is our church. Um, start there. Amen. Good point. Good point. Let me, uh, let me finish just two more thoughts, and then we can circle back. I know there's more hands up. Um, this one, as I was thinking about mentoring, was the one that um, kind of bubbled to the surface. So the person's swimming, but imagine them drowning. Um, or or you, the, 
taking a, a, a breath as they're, they're struggling to stay afloat. And it's interesting, you've probably all thought this, and if that's the case, maybe you should be, have been a Knicks for them, but um, the thought that what in the world is that person doing mentoring? And why is it that the people that are struggling the most in our minds sometimes seem to be the ones that are most active in trying to mentor everybody else? That's <laughs> like, take care of your own life first um, before you try to resolve everybody else's problems, right? And sometimes, so that can be a cynical statement, but sometimes it's a true statement. Um, and really, we need to be aware of our state. If, if I'm really going through a hard time in life, I should seek help from a mentor rather than being the mentor. You know, if, if, I'm, if I'm really discouraged about church, am I, am I really the right person to be mentoring people in church? Now, I'm probably speaking to the choir <laughs> because, because the people that are really struggling with church just want to share the, the issues or, or are really struggling in the relationship with God or just want to dump on other people and aren't thinking straight. But an awareness of my state, an awareness of... Um, of seeking the mentor that I need. When I'm struggling, I need to seek help rather than try to share with everybody else how bad things are. And sometimes we have a tendency to just want to the diarrhea of the mouth in all the wrong places to all the wrong people. Uh, sorry, it's just I say things the way I think sometimes, right? <laughs> uh, keep that in mind. And let's, when we see people that are struggling, you know, sometimes we need to be the ones to pull. Hey, let's go talk. Let's have a conversation. Um, anyway, that, that's, I wanted to just throw this out there. This is what, so I, I did a dry run of this forum with my church as a Bible study. They didn't know I was prepping for the forum. Um, they gave me a lot of great ideas. Um, some of the statements, when I asked the question, how do you teach people to observe all things that I have commanded you, Matthew 28, 20, this is the things that we as a church that had thrown out there. Live it, write it, explain it, do it together, correct their actions. Very similar to what Brother Bob said, just in slightly different order. <laughs> um, and I don't know if anybody noticed the apples that were changing color throughout the presentation. It was a little subtle move, right? But guess what happens when we do this? Um, any other, I, we're, we're, we have five more minutes. Sam, you had had a comment. So in, if, it's, if you've done it, the approach that I'm suggesting, where you started out with coffee or sports and moved it into having them over or the person over for dinner, developed a relationship, you now have a friendship. And you now have a place to go from where there's trust. And you can say, what's going on? Don't be afraid at some point, if you have a trust relationship with somebody, to say, what's going on? You know, you're real. And, and, and the, talk to me. How are things? Um, that we need to get to that level, elevate the conversation to that level um, in, in our relationships, to, to be able to talk to each other in that way. Um, if you're working with a couple that's married and you, you know, you're, you're friends, don't be afraid to say, so how is the marriage going? How are things? You know, and, and sometimes it might take a layer of questions <laughs> to get to the depth, to the root cause of issues, but what have you got to lose? And I just want to stress the learning, the, the mentoring isn't just telling. Right? I, I, I don't know if that came through loud and clear. It's not telling. It's living. It's doing. It requires us to be active in our faith, 
in, in our church and in our communities. It requires us to be going out on limbs, dragging them along with us uh, when we're going to help the homeless or we're going to help somebody who's in a really bad part of town or we're helping build someone's garage or build someone's house whose roof has collapsed, right? Dragging people with us teaches them to do the same. And it reveals Christ in this multiple, multiple exponential way. So it's not just the talking about it. Absolutely. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. I, do, I'm, I love you. Um, and we're, I want to get to know you because I love you. Not because I want, you to, ma- not because I want to make you like me. Right? And it's a very strong point. Um, very good point. Thank you for sharing that.